0: Greetings to you all. My name is Benjamin Ferencz, and I'm speaking to you from Delray Beach, Florida. I am a hundred years old and uh, the sole surviving prosecutor of the Nuremberg Trials, and I'm very happy to be here in order to reach out to the young generation about what it means to you and what you can do about helping to create a more humane and peaceful world. I was raised in poverty. Uh, My family were immigrants. They escaped from Hungary and Romania, which was then known as Transylvania, a country which no longer exists. And uh, I learned early on that it's not what you call the country, it's how they treat their people that counts. And we came to the United States, no money, no language, no skills. My father was pleased to get a job as a janitor in Hell's Kitchen in New York, one of the high-density crime areas in the country. Uh, My earliest memories begin in the cellar, an area where the Irish were fighting Italians and the Italians were fighting the Jews and and so on, and uh, there was a lot of crime going on. Anyway, this eighth grade teacher called my mother came in, my father hadn't seen for a couple of years. She was there with the principal. I thought they were going to complain about some mischief I'd been up to, which I was up to much much of the time. She said, this is a gifted boy. He should go to college. Well, we had no idea what she meant. Nobody gave me any gifts. And uh, so when she said it was a gifted boy, I mean, you know, what does that mean? And go to college. We didn't know anybody who went to college. It's just, when you finish high school, if you're lucky, you went to work. So my mother said, whatever is good for him, we'll do. And uh, so I think that marked a turning point in my life. Off I went to uh, City College and uh, uh, my grades were not extraordinary. And I got a degree in social sciences and all those things. I was an A student. But in biology, I didn't want to dissect a frog. (laughs) I didn't want to do the things they wanted me to do. I inquired which was the best law school in the world, and they told me Harvard. And since I was very short, still am, shrinking, uh, I thought I'll apply there. So I applied to Harvard, and they accepted me. And they gave me the first exam was in criminal law. I did so well that they gave me a scholarship. When I was still at law school, the war broke out. Japan attacked the United States at Pearl Harbor. Everybody I know went down to Harvard Square to enlist, including me. So I was busy trying to get into the branch of service that I wanted. I tried the Air Corps, and I tried paratroopers, and I tried Marines, and I tried everywhere. I, nobody wanted me for one reason or another. Mostly I was too small. And the Marines said, you don't look like a Marine. We can't take you. And uh, So there I am, going into the Army as buck-private the lowest rank you can possibly get, and I was assigned to the 115th AAA Gun Battalion. The AAA means anti-aircraft artillery. I of course had no slightest idea about what artillery meant or what anti-aircraft artillery meant, (laughs) but at least I could read or write being trained for the invasion of France. And uh, we went to the south Carolina, and there I spent days marching up and down again. (laughs) Left, right, left, right, left, right. I said, Sergeant, a beast of a man who was there, I said, country's at war. Is there something useful I can do besides left, right? I know the difference between my right and left foot. (laughs) Landed on the beaches of Normandy after we were trained. By the time I got there, there were still American bodies floating in a U.S. uniform, face down in the water. The tanks, many of them had been hit by the Germans, had fortified all the possible landing spots. And uh, tanks were smoldering, dead bodies, dead American soldiers floating. We had gone through the Maginot Line and the Siegfried Line and uh, crossed the Rhine on a pontoon bridge driving a Jeep, all of which was very hazardous, and the uh, final Battle of the Bulge in the Ardennes Forest. I got a cap on my shoulder one day, said, you report to General Patton's headquarters. we got some orders for you to report. So I went to General Patton's headquarters, and he said, we have a message here from Washington. We are required to set up a war crimes branch. Uh, and your name has been forwarded from Washington. What's a war crime? And so I think I was the first man in the American army to deal with war crimes. We finally reached the point where my colonel comes, he said, we've got a report here that uh, we have been running into people on the road. They look like they're all starving and they're coming out of some kind of a war camp. It was Buchenwald. They were named after the town. Um I get into my jeep and off I go to the location. People are still, some of them are still on the road, most of them are back into the camp. The ground is covered with dead people and uh, they were wearing the uniform of the prisoners and uh, the crematoria are going. their bodies in them. Outside there are bodies, look like skeletons, only skin and bones, uh, piled up like cordwood, one on top of the other, waiting to be burned. The people on the ground, you couldn't tell if they were dead or alive. Their eyes would be pleading for help. They couldn't stand. So that was my first introduction. Now, so nobody comes to tell me you know, they don't think it happened because I saw it. So I painted on my Jeep, Imra line, always alone in German. to said, get out of my way. And I would head for the camp, and uh, there I would come in. The first thing I did, I'd find out who was the uh, tank commander who was in charge, American commander by that time. And I'd go to him, i say, I'm here on the orders from General Patton carrying out a policy of the United States for war crimes, uh, President of the United States. I'd 10 men immediately around the Schreibstube of the office where the records are kept. Nobody goes in or out without my permission. They would say, yes, sir. They, I never had any insignia on me. I acted like I was a general, <laughs> something like that. And that's what it took to move them. You know, I'd say, move, you know, and they'd say, yes, sir. The Germans were terrific at keeping records. They had death records. The name of the prisoner, what he died from, typhus, uh, trying to escape, mostly was baloney tried to escape, tried to escape, tried, or typhoid or some other disease. They were being murdered, systematically murdered, but they took down the name and they also had the name of uh, who was the officer in charge. This was the type of experiences in the field. Uh, I just assume try to forget, not, not, I, I cannot forget. Uh, and it uh, leads to the conclusion that war itself is horrible. It's the most outrageous thing, if the two heads of states are unable to agree. They take young people, they send them out to kill other young people they don't even know, in a country they never heard of maybe, uh, and when they get tired of killing each other, they pause, each side declares victory, they rest a little bit and they start again. That's the current system. I'm a hundred years old now. It's worrying about Guys like you, who are 18. Germany finally was defeated. They had surrendered unconditionally, which was the requirement at the time. The Allied powers, British, the French, the Americans and the Russians, got together and they had conferences on what to do about the Germans. And the Americans said, look, we need trials. You accuse them of crime, give them a day in court, let him come in present the evidence. You present the counter evidence. Have judges there who will judge it. As we in America do, says on the Supreme Court building, justice under law. Law applies equally to everyone. Give them a fair trial. Goering, who was the lead defendant that we captured, Hitler had disappeared. And uh, we, we didn't know originally where he went eventually. Uh, before the war ended, I was looking for Hitler as well. They gave me an honorable discharge the day after Christmas. Bing Crosby had said, you'll be home for Christmas. He was singing, you know, I'll be home for Christmas. I wrote to my fiance, I'll be home for Christmas. <laughs> but when Christmas came, I get a telegram from the Pentagon saying, dear sir, they had never called me sir in three years in the army. And so I go to Washington, called me dear sir, and I was interviewed there. By a Colonel, Mickey Marcus. I've given the name because his name was well known. He uh, was a New York boy who said, Benny, you have to go back. I said, Go back to Germany? (laughs) I said, In order to get me to go back to Germany, you have to declare war on Germany again and be losing. (laughs) I said, I'm not going back in the army. Oh, he said, We need you. We need you. We have more trials coming on. Now you tell me you need me when the war is over. Yes, we do. We'll make you a full colonel. I called up my girlfriend and I said, how would you like to go to Europe for a brief honeymoon? She said, I'd love it. I said, you got it. I went back, I said, I'll take the job. Most of the records are in Berlin. I'll set up in Berlin. I got a staff of about 50 people. Paul, former German refugees. One of my researchers in Berlin comes and he hands me a pile of papers. And, uh, I look at it, and it's in German, Ereignis Meldungen aus der UDSSR, which in English means Situation Reports from the Eastern Front. And uh, these were daily reports, top secret, written from the Eastern Front. The German army had been advancing into Ukraine, Russia, and so on, and there were special squads called Einsatzgruppen. And their assignment was to kill without pity or remorse. They never used the word kill, eliminate. Without pity or remorse, every single Jewish man, woman, or child, they could lay their hands on. I took a little adding machine, and I began to add up how many people they killed, where, when I got to a million, I said, that's enough. I took a sampling. I got on the next plane, going from Berlin to Nuremberg. I went to Nuremberg, there was Taylor, who was then the general, he'd been promoted to colonel. And I said, General, we gotta put on a new trial. So I became the chief prosecutor of the largest murder trial in human history. The charges we have brought accuse the defendants of having committed crimes against humanity. The same acts we have declared under count one as crimes against humanity, are alleged under count two as war crimes. It is therefore wholly fitting for this court to hear these charges of international crimes and to adjudge them in the name of civilization. I accuse 22 defendants selected by me on the basis of their education, many of them had PhD, one had a double doctorate, and their rank, generals and colonels of the SS, Uh, and accused them of the calculating murder of over a million innocent men, women, and children. Uh, That was my first case. I'd never been in a courtroom in my life. I arrested my case in two days. I convicted all of them. We asked the court to affirm by international law the right of all people to live in peace and human dignity, regardless of their race or creed. That was my opening paragraph uh, in the heinz trial. And, uh, I, I got that from the judges. We have to, more important is to prevent it from happening again. And I've been working on that for the rest of my life. And, uh, it's very hard to do. It's three words, law, not war. If you can do that, you save every day billions of dollars, which you can use to, deal with the legitimate complaints of old people who need medical care, students who have to pay for their tuition, all the legitimate complaints which could be solved if we didn't spend the money on weapons to kill them instead of helping them. And that is the current system. Now, how are you going to do it? I will end by telling you how to do it and the principles which have guided me. There are three principles. One, never give up. Two, never give up. Three, I hear you. Never give up. Good luck. I wish you the best of luck.